From UA Little Rock Public Radio, this is The Art Scene. I'm Daniel Brain. We're wasting no time this week in getting right to our conversation with UA Little Rock Gallery Director and Curator Brad Cushman and Photography Professor Jolie Lividay talking about some ongoing exhibits at the UA Little Rock Wingate Center of Art and Design. I do want to start off by uh, just getting a gauge of how things are going with you all. I mean, it seems like every time I interview anyone, the first question is, how have you been getting through the past uh, year or so? And I think it's interesting for, for you two, especially because you have both the, the role of an educator and the role of an artist and art curator, things like that. So uh, just, I guess, respectively, both uh, how have you all been doing and what, what's been different? What have been some of the challenges and uh, uh, strengths of the past year? Of course, last spring when the campus shut down, um, the gallery shut down, and we began to think, how can our programming continue in this new world? So we uh, worked over the summer to create a more expansive website. Um, It's at artexhibitionsualr.org, and we are now trying to create virtual pages for the current exhibitions, and it's ongoing. So that's been one thing that we've done to um, get things to the people that don't want to come to campus. We do have gallery hours, Monday through Friday, 10 to 4, and masks are required. Um, And we ask people to respect social distance protocol. So um, we kind of have put those things in place to make things work better for the community. From a teaching standpoint, it's been um, pretty difficult with uh, with COVID. Not all of the classes are completely virtual. And in the art department, we do have some ability to uh, have in-person classes, although we're restricting class sizes, making sure there's never more than 10 people in any kind of open space. And we try to do uh, everything that's possible to, to do online. We try to do it virtually. But art is an in-person activity. So it's been challenging. Uh, I think with photography being the primary area that I teach, I've had a bit easier time of it than some. I mean, digital photographs can be shared online very easily, but it's it's been challenging. There's no doubt about that. And as an artist, I mean, with Brad talking about, uh, you know, the galleries closing down, of course, that's been happening all over. So it's it's been difficult. I think everybody is eager to see this time pass and hopefully you know it won't last too much longer my colleagues in the studios had to work really hard to figure out how to create safe spaces for the students to interact in so they put up petitions but how do you teach woodworking ceramics sculpture photography all of it those are tactile experiences and so um i really have to applaud my colleagues for Um, They've really been on the front lines and continued to create those experiences um, and knock on wood, um, we've all stayed safe and healthy for the most part. I am just curious. I mean, you don't, if if this isn't the case, then that's fine. But just from the students and even uh, your fellow faculty members, just have have you guys noticed that being remote and having to uh, deal with added uh, public health guidelines, things like that. Has that translated, I guess, into uh, the works that people are producing or maybe just the themes and topics that that people are choosing now to to focus on? I've definitely seen that in my classes. A good portion of the students are tackling uh, the differences that quarantine and the safety precautions uh, have 
taken on our, our regular routines right in their artwork. And they've been, uh, you know, photographing people with masks and looking at relationships and how that's changed through dating. I have a student working on that right now. Like how do young people handle these, these changes? So it, it's, it's interesting. I bet you we're going to continue to see that over the next even decade as, as people kind of work through what's happened. And I, and I think also um, the social media networks that artists use, uh, people are craving interaction and connection. So I see an uptick in Instagram and Facebook and many other platforms. We've set up some Zoom artist talks uh, and we're having anywhere from 40 to 75 people show up for those. And so um, I think that's a reflection of people still want to connect. They still want to um, be part of a community. Right, absolutely. And I think that is a, a big thing that you all are doing over in the uh, Department of Art and Design. You're not, um, certainly you're pivoting to virtual um, and putting all of those guidelines in place, but you are still continuing forth with having, you know, in-person exhibits where people can come in and uh, following all those guidelines and everything being safe as possible, but they can still appreciate art in the way that it's been appreciated for <laughs> thousands of years. So, and you guys have a very busy slate on your hands, uh, three new exhibits. Um, the first of which, of course, is the uh, Women to Watch exhibit, um, which you, uh, uh, Julie, had a, a very uh, big part of. You were part of the National Exhibition in Washington. And the exhibition itself is called Paper Roots, which I think is interesting for this digital time that we're living in. It's probably the least paper any of us has ever used. Now we're all on Zoom and everything. But I did want to ask a little bit about that theme. What we don't really, I guess, often talk about the material that our work is made of or displayed on. So why was it important this uh, this year to highlight paper specifically? Well, the Women to Watch uh, Biennial does change the theme you know, every time it's done. So this year with Paper Roots, the, the idea is paper as a medium. So it's not prints or photographs in, in, this, in the straightforward sense where the most important thing is what's on the paper. It's actually using the paper itself, uh, often in a sculptural way, um, which is a pretty interesting and unique, more unique than many way to make art. And uh, the show is actually internationally based, uh, I believe, and I'm, you know, shooting off the hip here, but uh, I think out of the 25 or so artists, um, about half were from the United States and the others were from all over the world. Uh, so this, it was pretty exciting. I I was very disappointed that I would I could not actually go to D.C. to see the exhibition, which was originally the plan. But um, some of those that are coming from you know from Europe were pretty pretty neat work. Yes, and I I read that this was the first time that you uh, had a piece of art in an exhibition that you weren't there to actually install yourself physically. That must have been a a, a challenging time for you. Yeah, the way my artwork uh, works, it's, it's installation art, which not everyone is uh, familiar with. But what that means is that it's different in every exhibition. Uh, I make these um, origami beetles and origami grass pieces that are actually folded from photographs and they stick into the wall. And so when I go to an, uh, an installation site, I look at the room and I'm, I change it every single time, the way the colors are and the way it's shaped. Uh, to move about the space. So the actual installation is very much a part of the art. And um, it was it was a little 
not ideal to me anyway. Like I, I really enjoy the installation. So, you know, a lot of people have to deal with that. In this case, I was disappointed. I didn't get to do it myself, but safety, you know, it matters. And of course with the quarantine and all, that was just the way it had to be done. Like you said, it was uh, 1,500 origami paper beetles. So that that is mm-hmm. definitely a uh, an undertaking for anyone who, who installs it. <laughs> True. Yeah. yeah uh, the, of course, the installation for the show that now that's, that's here in our gallery, in the Brad Cushman Gallery, um, it took me about 12 hours to do uh, the, or, the beetles and about another eight hours to do the grass pieces. So I was in there for several days working. Yeah, well, well, how it must have taken you much longer to actually fold all of the individual beetles, and uh, yeah, just just take us through that uh, the inception of that project and, and the uh, the execution of it too. Yeah, I mean, it started out. It was uh, it was funny. I, I was playing in in school, graduate school, which I actually went back to school for my uh, my graduate degree. I, I got it in two thousand and thirteen, and I was interested in the idea of a photograph as an object, not just the image, but the object itself. And I started messing around with that idea and I folded my first origami piece there. But each beetle uh, takes about an hour and a half to make. So uh, 1,500 beetles, that's very, very many hours. Uh, I worked on the pieces for this exhibition over a span of almost two years, Um, you know, sitting with my family in the living room and I'm folding while we're watching TV or, you know, that sort of thing, just working on it. I I always would laugh and say, well, some people knit, (laughs) you know, this is what I do with my hands. So um, yeah, it it took a while. um, And that's, I think, part of the whole um, meaning of that piece is the time invested, the massive amount of beetles, Uh, certainly one beetle is not that impressive, but you get 1500 on a wall and it it, uh, starts to do something interesting. You yourself, as as someone who primarily focuses on photography, was that, I guess, a question? the The theme of this, uh, the Paper Roots exhibition, was that like a question that you had you had come across in your work, just sort of taking an image that's two D, which is the the medium that you're most often working in, and making it three D. I mean, yes, that was kind of where I was going with it and pushing the idea of when is a photograph no longer a photograph? I mean, the Beatles do show uh, a small amount of the original image, but really it becomes color and pattern for the most part. You might be able to capture little details. So I was just kind of pushing on that idea, um, not the in the box idea of what a photographic image can do, but you know, outside the box, like how far can you push that and still call it a photograph? And I don't think that most people would look at that exhibit and say, this is a photography exhibit. <laughs> but uh, the nature of the Beatles it comes from their photograph and the colors, everything about them. It's definitely still part of it. And that intrigues me. Did you go through a trove of old photographs that you had? Or at what point do you say, I'm just going to go photograph for three days and then I'm going to tear them all up. So I was always curious about how you choose the photographs that you decide to turn into origami. They're moments of beauty, basically. Um, a lot of those, most of them are just their iPhone photos, their pictures of my my son and my family, um, patterns that jump out, uh, even things like that are pretty mundane, like a beautiful sunrise or something. You might make that image. That image wouldn't be regular fine art to me. That's not that's not how my my 
purely photographic work trends. But, you know, you feel an urge to capture that memory, that moment, and it goes into it. So the Beatles represent life, specifically my life. And it's a bit of a, um, a bit of a meditation. You know, those moments pass and they can't be recaptured. Um, and the beetle is a bit of a symbol for death. So it's a kind of an ending, but an appreciation for those moments as well. And understanding that we can't, we can't cling to them. And I, I did just want to mention, I don't think we mentioned the title of the exhibit, but it's all that I love, which definitely um, makes, makes sense with everything you just said. Yeah. So it's, you know, I think, and, and recently too, it's been pretty interesting when I started working uh, for this exhibition, I was having to, to produce a lot of this in a, in a fairly quick span of time. So I actually put a call out to friends and family and I said, send me your moments, send me the moments that you love, your family, your memories. And I started incorporating those into the work, which at first I felt a little reluctant about including other people's experiences and images in there. But what I found, and it was really delightful, is as I was working with their moments of, of love and, and life and happiness and folding them and tweaking them, it's sort of almost like I I bonded to it too. And, and it became bigger, like the whole thing became bigger than just me, which actually turned out to be a really a wonderful thing. So shout out to all my my friends and family that actually uh, contributed photographs to the piece. I think it conceptually it expanded it for me. Yeah, that's such a cool idea. I mean, we've heard, especially during the pandemic, I know you were working on this before that happened. But I mean, this idea of crowdsourcing just especially art, but, you know, other things, historians are doing this, certainly journalism as well. Um, what what do you think about that trend? Do you think that's something that will continue on, like you said, just uh, making art more of the, more than just what the artist wants to say, I guess? I think that's a pretty recent, I mean, when I say recent, you know, within the last couple decades, uh, a trend in art to to do collaborations and crowdsource and, and something that's neat that marks our current age of work. Um, and I think it's really fascinating because that that image of the lone artist, you know, slaving away, painting on their canvas in their attic, you know, bedroom or whatever. I and mean, that's really not uh, the way a lot of it is now. And that's kind of cool too, to think about in this in this day and age with digital and sharing and social media that it's creeping into our artwork as well and and our, our mythos of what an artist looks like, right? This is the art scene from UA Little Rock Public Radio. I'm Daniel Breen. We're speaking with Brad Cushman and Jolie Livaday from the UA Little Rock Wingate Center of Art and Design about their ongoing exhibits. So Brad, from a, a curatorial standpoint, when you were, you're obviously you're tasked with bringing this, uh, what was it, an international exhibition uh, to UA Little Rock, um, what were your thoughts of that? I guess how much uh, leeway do you have in that in deciding where specific things go uh, when you're working with, with such a large exhibit? Well, um, I do wanted to give a shout out um, the way the this project comes together is each state has a committee that actually calls and brings in artists. So there's an Arkansas uh, committee of women that 
did shout out to that. And then they had a guest curator. Um, it's Allison Glenn from Crystal Bridges Museum of Art. So she selected the Arkansas artists that were going to represent this bigger project that's about 17 states and then the additional international. Um, so um, kudos to them. And I've worked with them before. We showed one uh, about four years ago called Organic Matters, and it featured another group of Arkansas women. So it was on my radar that they do this. And um, this was on my radar even more because Joe Lee was in it. So it was a no brainer. It's like, of course, we're gonna celebrate our own faculty and these other artists. Um, and so you bring up the notion of placement. Um, I work really closely with Nathan Larson, the assistant curator, and he and I almost can get into a gallery and begin to place things without even talking to each other. We've worked together for 20 years. In this case, Joe Lee joined the conversation and we looked at the space and we talked about um, how the walls would be placed, where the different installations would go and the flow of the room. So it was a collaborative effort. You know, uh, we, we talk it through um, what kind of experience we wanna have for the visitors. And to me as an artist, that's an exciting thing because it's composing like you do in the studio, but it's with other people's work. And, and that's the fun thing about being a curator is putting things together, the relationships of one object to another, new relationships appear when you start to do that. Um, and so uh, I worked with Joe Lee and Nathan and we figured it out. And I think it's a really striking installation um, in the gallery. And that's one thing that's always really impressed me about uh, setting up shows and gallery exhibits. I mean, the, the curator has to think about line of sight. You know, you walk in and, you know, this area to that area, what do you see and how do they complement each other? Uh, Brad's always been really great at doing that. And, uh, and he's gone in and, and combined a lot of good things in this show uh, to, to lead you around the space from one to the other. It's a gift. One thing that um, we decided to do, um, we have a huge collection on campus. We have over 1600 objects. And part of the idea that developed was let's celebrate some Arkansas women in our collection um, as a compliment to this exhibition. And so um, in this sort of little annex space, we um, brought together several works from our collection and a nod to all the great women artists that are working in Arkansas that have worked in Arkansas. So that was a, a fun extension to um, expand the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. I did want to ask about that. So that's the the second of the three uh, uh, exhibits that you all are putting on. It's the uh, the Arkansas Women to Watch is what you're calling it. Was uh, I guess was that sort of just a, a no brainer because you like you said you have this this huge collection and you have this. Um, international exhibit also coming was that sort of just like a, a you didn't even have to think about that at all well um I always uh with this new gallery our new spaces um it's been important for us to um, showcase our collection while it's distributed all over campus and it's in offices and people can actually live with art in their offices um I, I wanted to um, begin to program things to celebrate the collection in our building so our students can see it, our visitors. So it made some sense. And um, what I did is I went down to our gallery storage area and I started to look to see what we currently had in the building 
So um, it, it became a, a bracket. What's here, what's available? Um, and um, very quickly I saw a number of pieces and I realized this morning, I was thinking, I was like, I know all the women that are in that exhibit that my, my history with Arkansas goes back to the early 80s. And one of the first artists I met was Helen Phillips. She was an amazing ceramic artist that taught at UCA. Um, and we have a piece of hers in the exhibition. Uh, Robin Horn, who um, is connected to the Wingate Foundation, is an accomplished woodworker. And we have work of hers in the collection. Um, one of the newest pieces that we have, uh, I don't know this artist, uh, Melissa Weiss. She lives in Asheville, North Carolina, but family ties to Arkansas brings her back to Northwest Arkansas every year. She digs up Arkansas dirt, takes it back to her studio in Asheville, and all her pieces are made with Arkansas clay. And I thought that was an important piece to bring into our collection. So that um, is another artist. And I, I, I could tick through them all, but one I want to acknowledge, our, one of our newest acquisitions also is Latoya Hobbs. Latoya was a student of ours, graduated and went on to um, graduate school at Purdue. And then now she teaches at the Maryland Art Institute and she just won a $25,000 award. It's a Sondheim award out of Baltimore. And uh, so as a curator, my job is to continue to activate uh, a variety of voices in our collection um, and build on that, whether it's Arkansas natives or um, black, Latino, the LGBTQ voices. So to diversify our collection is important to me. And in this case, it seemed like the focus should be on women because that's, I felt like what we were um, talking about with the women to watch exhibitions. Sure. And it, it definitely, you know, does seem like something you've done with uh, intentionality in mind in, in creating this specific, this space for, for women artists to showcase. But it also seems like, you know, like you said, Brad, when you were going to uh, look at your entire collection, you just you knew everyone there. So it's it's not exactly you you are intentional about this, but it's not like you're having to go out and find these people. You know, these it's the the culture itself is is presenting uh, yeah, it's with these in the things. collection, and um, it was kind of uh, this morning when I thought about it. It's like these are all friends. These are all people I've had relationships. with colleagues that I've known, you know, some of the artists have passed. Um, Sally Williams is no longer with us, and she was a big presence in the Arkansas Arts Council. Um, Helen Phillips also is gone. Um, but then there's living, vibrant artists in our community still, Dominique Simmons, Renee Williams, um, Delina Martin, who taught here for years, is now in Houston, but her spotlight really grew when she was in the state of the art exhibition at Crystal Bridges. So there's a lot of artists in the show that excite me because they're friends, but they really make great art. And so, yeah, it was a no brainer to bring them into the space and to um, juxtapose them to Jolie's work, Kim Brewer's work, Linda Lopez and Susanna and Susanna has a difficult last name, so I always have to look at my notes. Susanna Schreckenheis is her last name. So, yeah, it was great to bring them together. Um, I'm a fan of Jolie's work. I love installation. It's exciting. Whenever I go into a gallery where installation is happening, to me, 
um, it keeps me in the space longer because I'm looking at these environments and trying to, and I, it's a different experience. So I, there, I'm done. I don't know. I can't <laughs> but anyway, it, 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 it was, it made sense to bring all that together. I probably should have looked this up before like, we got on, but uh, Brad, I remember the last time I spoke to you was, I think it was Delita Martin with all the plates um, at mm-hmm. the, at the gallery. I just wanted to uh, commend you, you both, I guess, because I, I noticed the, uh, similarities of uh, just creating this space where the art is the is the space essentially and it's a it's a beautiful space you have to work with too so well and it's interesting that you brought that piece up because as Jolie was talking about um, reaching out to her community of friends and family to bring in photographs Delita did the same thing with her plate installation she began to reach out to family and then friends and ask them to send uh, portraits of themselves Delita found that they were too self-editing. And so she actually began to bring people to her studio so she could photograph them and capture them in a more relaxed, casual way. But then she began to do these drawings. And and I thought about her project and Jolie's. It's like, we're more than isolated families. Our families are our community, our extended family, our chosen family, you know, it's not just blood. So, I think there's a connection to what Jolie's doing with the Beatles and what Delita was doing with the plate project. Yeah, absolutely. And not to, you know, focus too much on it, but just because we are talking about this this sort of notion of the space and sort of overtaking the space with using every available inch somewhat of of, of wall space, I guess. How much of that uh, was a conversation between you two since uh, Jolie, you did have the opportunity to uh, install the work here, and then uh, obviously you you both have worked together for a number of years, and you kind of know each other's sensibilities. I, I guess I just for a layman just walk us through what that that conversation and that process is like. You know, of course, there's it's going to take up a certain amount of space, right? So that's the first part of it, and then I think uh, like working with Brad, um, he's got a vision for the entire room and how the whole room is going to lay out. And again, how one work is going to lead into another. So we talked about, you know, where the, uh, the installation would fit best. And once I had the areas that I could work in uh, delineated when I was in there by myself, uh, like with the Beatles, I like to have a source point, a point where they enter the space and then an exit where they leave the space. And so there was a a large vent in the wall, like a a big three foot vent that I created a huge mass of them coming through there. And there's a a point in the floor where it's a corner where it's like they could have erupted out from some sort of a crack or opening. So I, I, I sit and stare at the at the rooms. So I've got them climbing among the vent work and duct work and moving up and down the wall in that space. What's fun about that is a lot of times you move into those spaces, you don't even notice those vents and ducts. You don't look up, you don't see all those things. But then when they become actually a part of the installation, it activates the room in a new way. I think that's kind of fun. We pr- pretty much said, you have this wall, this wall, and that wall. And Basically, then I backed away. Um, sometimes, in the case of Delita's plates, she was not in town. She gave the plates to us to install, and she said, use as many as you can and make it an irregular flow. So we had parameters, but they were still open enough that we could play with it. And so um, 
The one thing that I like about Jolie when she installs, like there will be the majority of the Beatles on most of the walls, but then occasionally there'll be one over by a light socket or there'll be one on top of a temporary wall. And so they catch you, you know, your periphery vision, wait a minute. And then you realize, oh, that's one of the Beatles. So that's really playful too. And I like what she does when, when she installs that way. And I would also like to mention, we have a, a small gallery space called the Focus Gallery that is, um, it, we do with local and sometimes regional artists. So a little bit of a smaller spread, but right now we've got an exhibit up too that celebrates uh, an Arkansas woman artist, Diane Harper, who is also an alumni of our art department. It's a great space in the main lobby by the photo labs. You can see um, that space. So yes, we really would encourage everybody to come out right now and they have a lot of art to look at if they have the time and the masks to wear. <laughs> That was Brad Cushman in Jolie Livaday with the UA Little Rock Wingate Center of Art and Design. The Women to Watch exhibit runs until March 12th, and look to social media for two Zoom conversations with some featured artists set for February 12th and 26th. And that's our show for this week. Please tune in next week at the same time. I'm Daniel Brain, and the art scene is a presentation of UA Little Rock Public Radio.